Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The Links and Locks Podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. Four. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. What's up, everybody? And welcome to the first ever Links and Locks podcast. I'm Jason Sobel. He's Justin Ray from the 21st Group. And yeah, okay, you've probably been listening to our podcast as part of the Action Network for a while now, but Links and Locks is going to be our, our very own podcast that we're doing every single week. Very proud of it, and we're still with the Action Network, and he's still with 21st Group. Uh, our producer, Matt Mitchell, has told us to let you all know that you can win a prize if you go and rate us. He said only five-star ratings are eligible to win a prize. Uh, to quote Bomani Jones, if you give anything less than five stars, I'm inclined to believe that you are, in fact, a hater. So I, I, I will only accept... Glowing reviews. We've graduated. We've got our own artwork, which is very exciting. You should go along with the, the our own unique title for our podcast. Exciting times, man. Let's let's give out some winners. Let's start off on, on a good run here with uh, with the Wyndham Championship. What do you say? As I'm planning to say every single week, I will provide the links and you provide the locks, and I think that should be a good combination here. <laughs> no, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> we will get to this week's Wyndham Championship and a lot to discuss this week. A lot going on. Uh, first, let's uh, let's go back and review what was a a absolute wild uh, final round of the WGC FedEx St. Jude Invitational in Memphis this past week at TBC Southwind, which is it's been for a long time one of the more underrated golf courses, and uh, I think now people are starting to understand why, even though it has provided this much trouble over the years. Uh, I think people who watch the back nine on Sunday are like, oh, oh, yeah, now I get it. Um, essentially, it answered the question that. Maybe some of us have sat at a 19th hole and asked before Jay Ray, which is uh, what would happen? What would it look like on TV if all the world's best players who are in contention for a title started playing like us? Like one of them just started hitting a slice off the tee and one of them hitting the water on the par threes. And one of them uh, tried to hit it past the tree and hit a branch and went back out of bounds. Uh, wouldn't that be crazy if they started playing like us? And essentially they did. Yeah, it was the title of the name of the course is TBC Southwind. There was no wind for about what? 65 holes for mm-hmm. the for the leaders you know coming down the, and then down the stretch wind kicks up a little bit nerves get to you and yeah it was kind of a really kind of a sight to behold when there's no wind out there it felt like the course was imminently gettable it looked like kind of a sleepy wire to wire win if that's even a thing for harris english he was gonna be blown past 20 under par like it just looked like 
an absolute stripe show and he was on cruise control and then golf happened, of course. So um, kind of totally unexpected. Those two double bogeys in the back nine, he just, you know, rinses that shot on that par three and just threw everything in a loop. And then the sideshow to that was Bryson falling apart simultaneously when it looked like, you know, two, with two hours left in the golf tournament, there's no way you would sit there, see, <laughs> see Harris and, Bryson one two on that board and think two hours later there's gonna be a three-man playoff and neither of those guys are gonna be in it I mean it was just kind of a totally crazy finish to the golf tournament Hideki Matsuyama loses the playoff he was nine back to begin the final round would have been the second largest final round comeback in the history of the PGA Tour the only one larger was Paul Laurie at uh, the 1999 Open when Jean Vandeveld fell apart that's how how many shots back Hideki Matsuyama was um, answer was four back, which is big enough in and of itself. We haven't had a 54 hole leader win on the PGA tour. This is kind of crazy since Phil at the PGA championship, oh my we've had goodness. Like 11 straight players come from behind on Sunday. Now wow. Xander did have the 54 hole lead at the Olympics, but that's not a PGA tour event, but like stateside, we it's been a, it's been a epidemic of blowing leads on Sunday. And it just happened to, you know, bite Harris English again after a really tremendous week. Um, for about, you know, what, 64, 65 holes. As I put on Twitter Sunday afternoon, uh, tell me golf is the most fun sport to bet on without telling me golf is the most fun sport to bet on. Uh, at one point, you could have gotten Abraham answered during the final round at, at 50 to 1. Oh, that's a big number and he wound up winning. I hope somebody out there hit that. At one point, you could have gotten Hideki Matsuyama at 1,000 to 1. <laughs> and at one point, you could have gotten Sam Burns, who missed a three-footer, three-and-a-half-footer in the on the second playoff hole. You could have got him at 2,000 to 1. <laughs> Excellent. These are huge, huge numbers. Can you imagine a, a basketball? Like, what would the score of a basketball game have to be at some point mid-fourth quarter wow. for it to be 2,000 to 1 for a come from Yacht? I mean, it would literally have to be like, it's 99 to 72 with three and a half minutes left. Something like that. I remember I'm a, I'm a huge Houston Rockets fan. They had a game several years ago in the playoffs on the road against the Clippers. And like Harden was like three for 18 shooting. He came out of the game. It was like a crazy, like down 20 and like Josh Smith and Corey Brewer led the comeback. Like it was made no sense. Everyone rightfully went to sleep, turned the game off. That's the kind of situation you're looking at where the odds are just like you turn it on the next day and you're like, they won? What? What are they? So just a, I mean, absolutely wild finish. And it's good to see TBC South, TBC Southland kind of get its flowers because, you know, years ago, Phil Mickelson talked about it as potentially the most underrated golf course they play all year on the PGA mm-hmm. Tour mm-hmm. and kind of drew a lot of raised eyebrows. They're like, really? Like, it's just, you know, because I think everyone has a knee-jerk reaction, especially, you know, high-minded golf folks when you see tpc they don't really give the golf course much of a chance right i think they're more traditionalists and it kind of can get a bad rep but you know it generated some really interesting drama down the stretch and i thought it was um, a really great week for the golf tournament and the name you mentioned there sam burns just keeps putting himself in these positions over and over again this season i had a statistic um this week he's now been in the top five following i think it's 22 rounds this season on the PGA Tour, only Jordan Spieth has been there more often. So wow. it's just a matter of time for that guy puts together. Would you be surprised if he won three times next season? Because I definitely would not. No, no, I, I really like him moving forward. He's, he's got all the game to be a top 15 player in the world and maybe just a little bit better than that as well. I, I don't want to spend too much time deconstructing everything that happened, but there is a lot to unpack. And I want to get to a little more of it before we get to our five questions 
and uh, looking ahead to the Wyndham Championship this week. Uh, one of the things, first of all, Harris English went from, oh my God, he might be the player of the year front runner, or at least one of them with a third win. He's a shoe in for the U.S. Ryder Cup team if he just holds on for seven, eight more holes. Instead, kicks it away, un-Harris English-like. He's usually just so calm. He, he admitted afterwards getting a little flustered by being on the clock. My One of my main takeaways from this, Justin, is how do players continually get flustered by being on the clock on a Sunday afternoon when you know there's no repercussions? I mean, the, the analogy that I've used and I used on PJ Tour Radio today was it's essentially like a soccer game where they say, hey, we're going to give you a warning. That's a yellow card. And then yeah, you do it again. We're going to give you another yellow. But if you do it again after that, you're getting a yellow. And then after that, you're getting another yellow. And there's never a red card to be had. There's never an actual penalty. There's just warning after warning after warning. So Harris was talking about, hey, I really had to speed up. I was kind of running from green to tee box and moving my way down the fairways because we were on the clock. Okay, they were playing a little slow. Now, granted, there were a few rulings in there. Uh, Bryce had one up against the fence. Harris had a, a leaf blow onto his ball. Uh, they each had a, a couple of balls in the water where you got to figure out where to take your drop. And I mean, there's, there's just a lot of stuff going on. So I, I get why it took them a little bit longer to play. But if you're a player in that situation, don't you have to realize like, hey, they ain't going to do anything to me. And if they do, my Twitter mob will be after these rules officials quicker than they even know what's happening. It's a great point. Uh, if, if there's not going to be any repercussion for it, why would you let it impact you? I mean, maybe somebody like, Maybe somebody like English, who's a little more, I don't know, he seems like a more affable guy, is more willing to please the tour officials than maybe a different, like more superstar level player. I'm not totally sure if, uh, if you get in that situation, but it's a great point. I mean, can you imagine the PGA Tour telling their, telling their leader of their tournament, like, hey, you've got a two-shot penalty here for slow play and just throwing everything up. I mean, there's no Never. chance. It, it's just completely inconceivable that they would actually go through with the punishment. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I mean, obviously slow play is an issue. We need to speed things up, but when are the last grouping, like there's no way they're going to actually administer that penalty, you know? So I'm, I'm with you. I, you'd think at some point that players would actually, you know, realize in the moment that, Hey, they're probably not going to do anything anyway, or maybe a caddy realizes it and says something and you know, they don't let it impact their play. They, they would have to be four and a half holes behind and literally picking flowers as they're walking down the fairway to, to have that sort of penalty actually called against them. There's no way. And so, yeah, I, I just don't understand why players, and it's not just Harris English, not just Bryson DeChambeau, it's other players in the past that have been in similar situations in the final or one of the final groups on a Sunday afternoon have said, hey, it really got to me. We got put on the clock. Who cares? Nothing ever happens to you, so don't worry about it. Um, the other point here you is say that, that ask ask Juan Ten Long. He he was not in the final group on a Sunday, and I still <laughs> think that, that was BS. Let's go pick on the teenager. The, the other guys know what to do. They get they get a bad time. They know how to take care of themselves afterwards. Uh, and I think uh, Tian Ling Guan uh, didn't exactly know how to handle being different in that governing situation. body, different yes. level of power structure there too. Yes, there, there was a John Paramore involved in that one as well, who was. Uh, he takes less crap than I, I think some of uh, the others out there. And in, in any case, uh, I want to move on real quick. Bryson, I I thought, and look, you don't wish anyone to get COVID and that's not what I'm suggesting. You don't want anyone to miss the Olympics. 
because I, I thought it was really cool that Bryson wanted to represent his country. Some others uh, didn't want to go over to Tokyo and play in the Olympics. He said he would and then tested positive. I thought it might have been a blessing in disguise, though, just a little downtime for Bryson, a little time out of the limelight, a little time where uh, there's no Brooksy comments, there's none of this, and just kind of come back and reset and it took him about 12 hours of being on site in Memphis before all the noise was swirling around as much as ever before. I mean, between uh, giving the comment about, look, rightly, wrongly, whatever, you know, it, it, just saying, hey, I, I'm going to uh, I, I didn't want to get a vaccine because I want to save them for everybody else who really needs them. Uh, he got torched on social media for that. He declined. I spoke with Ryan Lavner on, on my radio show earlier today and we're speaking uh Monday afternoon as we record this. And um, he said that he went up to Bryson the next day who didn't want to speak to writers. He said, are we okay? And Bryson said, no. He said, I don't like how it's portrayed through you guys in the press. And Ryan said, did I misquote you? Was there something that I got wrong? And he said, no, I was quoted right. I just didn't like how I was portrayed. And Ryan said, did you read my piece? Uh, what did you have a problem with? And Bryson said, no, I didn't read it. And so I, I, I'm not sure what you do in this situation where Bryson's not reading what's being written about him. He just doesn't like what's being said or what he thinks is being said and doesn't like how he's being portrayed. And so now he's not going to talk to the media and this whole thing's just going to snowball. And, and there's just more and more uh, noise swirling around him. Uh, the whole thing about not yelling for look, uh, should you yell for if you hit it wayward? Yes. Is it going to save someone's life? If you yell for probably not, you're 350 yards away. Uh, we've both been to a lot of PGA tour events. No one's like, totally paying attention and sitting there saying, Oh man, is that coming at me? And I got, look, I, you know, if you're scared of potentially getting hit by a ball, don't stand 300 yards away, 10 yards off the fairway. That's just, you know, that, that's where the ball's going to land if they hit it off target. So um, I, I give him a little bit of a pass on that, even if uh, yes, he should yell for, but lots of players don't yell for, and I think he's being unfairly impugned uh, in a public forum. So uh, just thoughts on Bryson a little bit and all the things that he's kind of dealing with right now. Yeah. As far as the four thing goes, like, I don't think anytime you might miss a fairway, you've got to yell at the crowd, but like if you're lined up to pummel a golf ball into an area, that's not like designated, like, you know, he's talked openly about, he's breaking the way the sport is played, right. In terms of angles, he's able to take, if you're hitting a ball that literally your landing destination is a group of people, then, okay, like, yeah, maybe yell four. But, yeah, was he – is he going to get more shit than anybody for everything at this point? Yes, absolutely. Is some of it unjust? Probably a little bit of it. So um, I, I can kind of see, too, where he doesn't really see like he's in a winning position if he talks to the media as well. But at the same time, I think it's part of part of your obligation as a professional athlete. So, um, you know, lots of Britain and said about it. I mean, I'm not going to psychoanalyze the guy. I, um, I just – you know, he's, it's a, it's a tough topic and, you know, the, the razzing from the crowd, the Brooksies and all that, I can see how it can get under his skin after a while. Um, Shane Ryan wrote a piece about it that was kind of interesting. I encourage folks to check that out and form your own opinion about it. Um, but yeah, no, it's just a brutal back nine. So you know, go out there and shoot, what was he, six over par um, when he was in contention. It was really reminiscent mm -hmm. of earlier this summer at Torrey Pines. Yeah. And you can tell, I mean, you can tell things are bothering him and you know, it's, it's gotta be hard. And you know, whether you like Bryson, whether you dislike Bryson, whether you root for him, whether you root against him, I think you can see sort of the distress on his face when he is dealing with 
look, I, I'm not playing my best golf right now. And I've got people yelling Brooksy at me and I've got all these other things just going on. It's, uh, this is a hard game. How often do we say this is uh, less a physical and technical pursuit than it is a mental pursuit. And when you've got all these other things going on, I think it's really difficult to try to play your best golf. I will say though, this is professional sports. You're paid a ton of money. When Peyton Manning throws three interceptions, he still talks to the press after the game. When LeBron James goes three for 15 from the field and his team loses, he's got to take it and answer questions. You don't just get to talk to the media afterwards when you're successful. And I know for most of golf, that's all you, most of the time, if you don't play well, no one bothers you anyway, unless you're one of a few marquee players. So um, I will say that I think it's, you know, you don't get to skate by and in other sports guys have to go through it a lot too. So I think there's maybe an element of that to think about when, when talking about this topic. Yeah, I agree with all that. All right, let's get to our five questions before we break down the Wyndham Championship. Five minutes, five questions you never asked. I got to be honest with you. I get a little irritated when somebody calls me away from my golf. This is Five Under. All right, it's your turn this week on the Links and Locks podcast for the first time. You'll be asking the questions, Jay, right? I'm very proud of my five questions, as I often Ooh. am. I often think too highly of them, but we're going from one kind of dour, serious subject to one. It's, it's more serious to me here with question number one, but probably shouldn't be to the rest of the world. All right, number one, PGA yes. Tour just left Memphis. It's now off to North Carolina, both are regions who I would call barbecue enthusiasts. Mm. Jason, you have been to both places covering the sport. Which has the better barbecue? Which, which, which group of people are you going to alienate? Which has the better barbecue, Memphis or Carolina? All right. Well, uh, I hate to do this on your first question here, but I, I'm going to call you out on it. I've never covered the event in Memphis. Really? So I have not been to Memphis. Have you uh, not been to Memphis at all, though? No, I, I've never been to Memphis. No, uh, my Tennessee trips have been limited to a corn ferry event in Chattanooga years ago where I was caddying. We got on the leaderboard on a Friday and we're drinking beers after a miscut by Friday evening. Uh, I went to school in the Midwest. I grew up in Texas. I've been all over the South. So um, the answer, though, the correct answer (laughs) to the question is neither, of course, because the best barbecue is in the great state of Texas. I I was going to say Austin. Uh, I was going to give you Austin. Yeah, Texas barbecue. I mean, obviously, it was a trick question, so. You not having gone to Tennessee didn't disqualify from you at all. So I, I may have. I had on a swivel. So I haven't done a whole lot of Kansas City either. I hear Kansas City's maybe the up my burnt alley. ends in Kansas City are a religious experience. That's it's unbelievable. So um, that's what I'd encourage anytime you're in KC. All right. Question number two: Greensboro is the site of Sam Snead's 82nd official recognized PGA Tour win, the 1965 Greater Greensboro Open. He was the oldest winner in the history of the tour. It is also the site of the third oldest win in PGA Tour history, DL3 at this event six years ago. True or false, a player older than Snead, 52, will win on the PGA Tour, break Sam Snead's record before 2030. Ooh. That's like nine more years. Yeah, yeah, the rest of the decade. Yeah. Um, Somebody 52 and a half or older. Yeah. Yeah, guys are keeping themselves in better shape. I know the obvious answer here would be Phil. I don't know that it's going to be Phil. I don't know if I see Phil winning one two and a half years from now. Um, who would I, I – I'm trying to think of the player that it would or could be. Ugh, I'm not sure I got a great one. Could Steve Stricker win something right – Steve Stricker's like 54 right now. Could he go to Steve a Stricker John Deere classic? The crop of guys who are about to turn 50 
is a little less glamorous than like, you know, we had Ernie Els recently turned 50, uh, Darren Clark recently turned 50. So it's not, I can't think of any guys in their late forties, maybe like that's what Stuart Sink. Stuart Sink's won twice this season. Yeah, that's a good one. So um, that might be your guy. You never know. Stuart Sink. I'm trying to think of, yeah, it's, it gets, I mean, it gets to the point where these guys turn 45 these days. And if you've had a really good career and you're 45, if you're not a Phil or a Furick or a guy like, like, you just sort of kind of fade away for five years until, you know, you're David Toms and you go duck hunting for five years until you turn 50 and you're like, all right, now I can go play golf again. I can go compete with these guys. So I, I don't have a great answer as to who it could be. Um, but I assume it's just going to be Tiger Woods at the 2030 Masters. How's that sound? There you go. I like it. Uh, <laughs> we're calling it early. Nine years out, nine, eight and a half, nine years out. Right. A 54, 55 year old Tiger Woods at the 2030 Masters. It'd be a popular one. That's for sure. All right. Number three, Abraham Answer yesterday became the latest member of the International President's Cup team to win. Of course, they almost nearly pulled off an unbelievable upset at Royal Melbourne in 2019. The President's Cup will be held in North Carolina next year, where we're at this week, a uh, different city, but in the state of North Carolina. Internationals have not won the President's Cup since 1998. Jason, do they win one of the next three? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It could be two of the next three. I think that at some wow, point, okay. yeah, at some point, things are going to level out. The U.S. team is quite honestly, and I'm surprised that guys haven't started skipping the President's Cup a little bit. I'm sure there's a lot of pressure from the PGA Tour saying, hey, look, this is our event. The, the Ryder Cup is run by the PGA of America, but the PGA Tour runs the President's Cup and they want their players to, to be there if they qualify for it and if they're named to the team. But I, I could see at some point a guy saying, look, this is a long year and I just can't do it. I'm, I'm just not playing in this thing, especially on the road in another country. So uh, even if that doesn't happen, yeah, I could see the U.S. just sort of, you know, taking one lightly, especially if they win the Ryder Cup and you're just sort of like, ah, I don't know, we're doing this again next year. And that that President's Cup team is pretty damn good. Uh, I'm going to miss some guys. I don't have the whole roster or potential roster in front of me. You throw Abraham Answer on there. You throw Louis Ustez and you throw uh, Joaquin Neiman. Mito Pereira looks like he's going to be uh, really Smith. good. Cam Smith, Mark Leishman Having is still there. Year. Yeah. Uh, Corey Connors. Corey yesterday. Corey uh, there Connors. You go. Yeah. yeah you, got I mean, some, you got some Hideki. really good ball strikers where it can carry everywhere. And then, of course, you're, you know, Adam Scott was kind of the head of the team after Ernie Els, and now it's probably going to be Hideki Matsuyama for the next decade or so. Um, you've got a certified killer major champion there at the top. Yeah. No, I was worried there. You, you kind of turned, flipped the script there at the end of your, your description. Like, yeah, the Americans will take it easy. Man, there was some emotion on that Sunday in 2019 at Royal Melbourne out of the American team. So there um, was. I, I, yeah, I can still see. I mean, Garrick Higo is coming along and Bizwadenhut and, uh, oh, let's see. Yeah, I'm going down the world ranking here with Siwoo and Sungjae and Carlos Ortiz is another. Yeah, there, there's a lot of players to choose from. I just think at some point they get them all together and uh, they can put some pretty good teams together. And I, I think they'll do it at some point. Speaks to the strength of the game globally now. It's just, I know it's a, it's a, it's a tired euphemism. I think everyone who covers golf talks about the strength of the game, the depth of the mm. game. Really, it's true. Like, we wouldn't say it if it wasn't the case. And I think that the President's Cup uh, roster and their success since Royal Melbourne is kind of an embodiment of that. All right. Speaking of young players, uh, like we mentioned for the President's Cup team, number four, Will Zalatoris, 29th in the world ranking. He needs to win this week to get into the FedEx Cup playoffs. 
I know you wrote about him for the Action Network this week. This is despite Will getting as high as 27th in the world this season. So which happens first? Will Zalatoris breaks into the top 20 of the world or wins on the PGA Tour? I'm going to say he does both this week. Oh, how's that for an answer? Um, Yeah, without both in one swipe. All right. Without showing all my cards and throwing them all on the table before we get into our Wyndham coverage, uh, I actually have absolutely (laughs) no idea. It's a decent field this week. There's some name players, Decky and Louie and uh, Webb Simpson there. So I don't know exactly what the strength of field is. I don't know how much he can move up. I I think that his, um, what do you call it? Uh, Denominator. The divisor, yes, uh, is probably still pretty low. So I think if he wins one, he's going to move up quicker than some other players might move up based on that. But I, I don't know the whole numbers and, and what it could do. But uh, yeah, I'll pick him for, for a win this week. And, and I guess technically um, the win would come first and then the next morning he would move into the top 20. So I guess I will pick him to win first before he gets into the top 20. Okay, nice. All right, two for one. I like it. All right, number five, we'll get get through this, our last question. Grant Snedeker shot 59 on this golf course in 2018 on his way to victory. Year in and year out, this is one of the most gettable venues most birdies will see on the PGA Tour. There have been 12 rounds of 61 on this course since 2010. Over under low score of the week, 61.5. I have not looked at the conditions yet. Um, I'm going to assume sort of the normal, like, you know, late summer, Carolina, pretty nice. You know, it's not blowing 30 miles an hour. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll see a 61 out there this week. Yeah. I think so too. Jim Herman went nuts last year. I mean, it's, it, and I think he had the lowest closing 36 hole total by a winner and on the PGA tour. It might be ever. I'd have to look back at that, but it's, it was one of the lowest weekends that we've ever seen on the PGA tour by total strokes. Um, I'm probably going to go under as well. I'd say we probably see at least 161. I, I probably should have set that number at 60.5. To be honest with you, make it make it a little more interesting. That's that's a little a tough. dozen rounds of 61 in the last decade. So I think yeah, I probably should have made the over under 60.5. But I, I would have thought more about that. But yeah. yes, okay. I, this is a this is you know the, my favorite storyline of of Wyndham every year is guys on the 125 bubble and whether or not they can move in. More importantly, the guys who need it to keep their PGA Tour card for the following season. Um, I like that there's a ton of birdies out there on the table and there's potential for volatility for a lot of those guys who need to go low or, or, or post a nice number to try to move on. So that's five questions. How'd I do? Uh, great questions. Fantastic. A plus uh, go on and rate and, and comment on Jay Ray's questions this week on, on the links and locks podcast, and he will send you a prize. Absolutely. Five stars. Or Six stars. And we'll Seven give you stars. A prize, potentially. <laughs> as many stars as you can fit onto your All screen. Uh, yeah, so let's get into the Wyndham a little bit. Uh, look at DraftKings here. Webb Simpson is the favorite at 10 to 1 because, of course, this is the Webb Simpson Invitational. Somehow, he's only won this golf tournament once. He has a, a, a daughter named Wyndham. He's a good host. He, he doesn't take it all for himself. He leaves some money on the table for, for other people. Not much. He, Not he's much. second, third, second, <laughs> third the last four years. He, he's picked up plenty of cash. Um, I, I need to look up his career earnings here. It's got to be in like the four and a half million range or something like that. If you've got it there, I'll read off the rest of the seconds. Yeah. I'll I'll keep reading odds. I'll filibuster here. Hideki Matsuyama second on the board at 14 to one coming off playoffs in each of the last two weeks in both Tokyo and Memphis. Louis Oosthuizen at 16 to one. Uh, But Hey, that top five is plus two fifty. Okay. In case uh, for some reason you like Louis for a top five instead of 
outright this week. Patrick Reed at 20 to one. Uh, I would put all of Patrick Reed's frequent flyer miles on him this week. He has been all over the place over the last month and a half and uh, still going because he wants to make that Ryder Cup team. Jason Kokrak looking for win number three. He and Brian Harmon are 22 to one. Will Zalatoris, I've already professed my uh, love for Will this week. He is 28 to one. I think that's a great number for him. I was thinking it would be closer to 22 or 25 coming into this. So I think 28 is a really nice number to get right now. And wouldn't be surprised if that changes by Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday evening. Sung J.M., Russell Henley, both 30 to one. Kevin Na, 35 to one. Adam Scott, Siwoo Kim, Bobby McIntyre, 40 to one. Uh, by the way, and one other before we get to Webb Simpson's numbers here, I, I just thought it was strange. I put this on Twitter earlier today. If someone had told you a year ago that Robert McIntyre would be shorter odds at a PGA Tour event than Tommy Fleetwood, Taylor Gooch shorter than Bubba Watson, uh, Mito Pereira shorter than Justin Rose. I mean, it just goes to show you how ridiculous this game is, how quickly things can change. Here today, gone today. Chris Rock. <laughs> Man, I mean, Justin Rose is 70 to one and I get it. He has not played his best golf, but that's a massive number on a guy who's still not a bad golfer whatsoever. So credit to how well Mito Pereira's played and how the public's taking notice of it too. It is. All right. Web uh, Simpson, Simpson 3.53 million in his career. He's okay. averaging 294 grand every time he plays the Wyndham championship. And that's because yeah. he has a cool 66.7 scoring average in 46 rounds on this golf course. I, I named my kid after the title sponsor for that much, too. Hell, yeah. <laughs> He's got a son named Northern Trust, too, by the way. <laughs> That's a joke, J-Ray. Uh, all right, talking about this upper tier, uh, you know, okay, I think it's fairly obvious to like Webb this week. Uh, you know, we can debate whether we love him or not. I, I think he might have been 11-1, to 12-1 before a final round 64 on Sunday in Memphis that probably – uh, got people, got the odds makers moving that number just a little bit when he's showing some kind of form. Um, uh, who else do you like from this kind of top tier? The guys 35, 40 to one and shorter. I, I mentioned Zalatoris. I really like him. I like Russell Henley a lot. This has been a nice place for him in the past shot. Uh, 63, 65 on the weekend here last year, finished top 10. So those are, those are probably my two plays from, uh, from this top tier, I'm probably not chasing too many guys. There's been some wild odds over the years uh, from everything from Henrik Stenson four years ago, who's 12 to one and the favorite to Jim Herman last year, who was 600 to one in the longest of long shots. So, I mean, we've seen really everything here over the last few years. So, I mean, it's kind of take your pick, whether you're going top of the board or bottom of the board, but what do you like from this top tier? Yeah. And when Stenson won, he edged out Ollie Schneider jams. Boom. Mm. Exactly. So it's yeah. kind of the, you know, kind of the uh, the vibe here. Um, I, I start, I know we talked a little bit about Webb Simpson already, but he leads in basically every conceivable scoring category on this golf course. I would have loved to get him at 12 or 15 to one instead of 10. I'm probably going to have action on him for a top five. Three, his, his last four finishes are all in the top three on this golf course. Um, and you mentioned the 64 in Memphis that really kind of will pique people's attention. I don't have to go much further. The second guy on the board Hideki Matsuyama nearly won the golf tournament yesterday. I'm what the my question for him this week is if he has enough gas in the tank going from Tokyo to Memphis and now playing again at the Wyndham Championship. You know what's his interest level? How focused is he? But tied for third in 2016, tied for 11th in 2018, did miss the cut in 2019. I think it was the last time he played here. 
Um, Will Zalatoris is super interesting to me. I know we mentioned him already. You're high on him. Needs the win to get into the playoffs. Finished eighth in Memphis. All four rounds are in the 60s. My question for Will last week, the metrics fit him brilliantly in terms of course fit. It was just how healthy was he coming off that withdrawal at the Open Championship. So obviously didn't really show any signs in Memphis of any struggling. So um, I hate to not deviate too much, but those are kind of the guys towards the top of the board I'm into. And then, look, Siwoo Kim had one really, really bad hole on Sunday. He made a 13 on a par three. Mm. The rest of the week wasn't that bad when you look at all the other numbers. He had one awful hole, seemed to take it in stride, had a funny uh, Instagram post on a jet with Kevin Na. So, um, you know, the two guys who have the two highest scores on a par four and a par three in PGA Tour history, kind of a funny uh, Instagram moment between those two guys. But um, the volatility for Siwoo Kim is emblematic of just his entire existence on the PGA Tour, right? His last four starts of this golf tournament, win, cut, fifth, third. I mean, just seven rounds of 65 or lower in that span. That ceiling is so high at 40 to one. You're like, man, he seems really tempting. He could also go out and shoot 76 on Thursday and be down the road and you wouldn't really be that surprised. So he's really interesting to me too. Um, And then one guy a little bit further down the road who's going to invariably get a lot of coverage Thursday and Friday, a big name in the sport who was on the outside looking in for the FedEx Cup playoffs. Ricky Fowler's most pressure-packed situation probably this year so far was when he was given that kind of controversial sponsors exhibition at the PGA Championship. Mm-hmm. Went out and had his best week of the year. First, his best finish worldwide in like 16, 17 months when he finished tied for eighth at Kiowa. Does he, can he do it again? Can he answer the bell again with his back against the wall, have a great week, get into the playoffs and kind of, you know, kind of put a capper on what's been a really bad year for him, uh, put a positive spin on it. So um, he's really interested in me. I think he will come through in a big moment, uh, but I'm interested on, on your thoughts. I am torn on Ricky this week. I, yes, I can see him coming so. through in, in a big way. I can also just see it being the culmination of just what's been a lousy season and a yeah. lousy run for him. And, you know, I, he's just you look at his results recently and they're all like, in the 30s and 40s, last three starts. And it's like, okay, but nothing great. Nothing that's going to move him up at least six I, spots. I really thought that closing was a 65 Sunday at the Open. And then he went out and opened 3M with a 64. Yeah. Like, All right, here it is. He's found yep. it. He's the next in the Spieth, Lydia, the narrative we've had of these great players coming back. And he just kind of faded at 3M on the weekend. You know, it's in there though, somewhere. And you know, kind of, there's pieces of it you're starting to see in some rounds. That's kind of what I'm taking with me with some optimism there for Fowler this week. Yeah, long-term, uh, all in on Ricky. I, I'm buying the stock when it's uh, at or near its all-time low right now. It might not get back up to the all-time high, but it is going to climb back up, and, and you're going to make a nice ROI uh, buying on Ricky right now. I'm just not sure that uh, you want to go day trading Ricky right now either. <laughs> I, I don't think that's a terrific idea. All right, uh, some of the guys I like in this mid-tier – uh, I like Kevin Kisner, although the ball striking was just brutal in Memphis this past week. So um, I was hoping when I went and looked at the stats, I was hoping like, okay, he didn't play that well. He didn't score that well. Maybe the ball striking was good and gives us a little reason for optimism. Uh, it's a place where he should play well, but I just can't take him uh, based on that uh, ball striking last week. Taylor Gooch is a guy who always strikes it really well. And Taylor Gooch is a guy sort of like Abraham Answer and Eric Van Royen, where if he won for the first time on the PGA Tour this week, you wouldn't go, oh, that's a weird one for him to win. It's it's coming at some point. Might not be this week, but it's coming pretty soon. Still loved Mito Pereira last week. I, I thought it was like 
slam dunk, win this Barracuda thing. Uh, you got to go low. He loves going low and birdie fast, and it just he played okay. He didn't play badly, but it just never really happened. I, I will go back to the well with Mito. Hank Libiota is really interesting at 70 to 1. Been top 10 his last three starts. He was contending at the 3M Open. His dad became ill on the weekend, and he withdrew from the golf tournament either before Saturday's round or before Sunday's round. And so he hasn't played since then, but he's back this week, and he's a guy that's obviously running a little bit of a heater. So I like him a lot. JT Poston has won this event a few years ago. Harold Varner, very interesting. Harold Varner III, uh, little birdie told me he was out in Vegas about a week and a half, two weeks ago, working with a specific notable swing instructor who happens to be out in the Vegas area who has tended in the past to turn players' games around very, very quickly. And so Varner had a nice week um, at the Reno Tahoe last week, and so I I would not be surprised if he plays well in his home state. By the way, I had him first-round leader last year. He wound up first-round tri-leader, which is still pretty good, shot 62. So uh, I still like him doing that again. He tends to get off to – Hot starts. Uh, just kind of reading down the list a little bit here, just naming off some guys I like. Ches Reeve, Joel Damon, Brian Stewart, Ryan Armour, I really like a lot. Uh, Luke List, uh, Aaron Wise is, uh, is as volatile as anybody. He's got four finishes of 17th or better, and then his other 10 starts are 44th or worse. I mean, he is just all over the place. Uh, and, and maybe I'll throw a little on Doc Redman once again, who was my pick to win here last year and my pick to win most times he plays. Doc Redman. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case loving you. I assume producer Matt Mitchell is playing the Doc Redman song right now, which uh, can, uh, I can only imagine. Uh, maybe a little more Doc this week. I can't get away from it. You better show some respect whenever the Doc brought up. I gave you my favorite stat of the week. We talked a lot about strokes gained approach going into Memphis. It's equally or even more significant this week. The last five winners at Sedgefield Country Club here at the Wyndham Championship, their ranks in strokes gained approach for the week, two, three, three, one, and four. That's Mm. pretty heavy. 46% of the strokes gained by winners here the last 10 years have come on approach shots. That's pretty significant as well. So that's a number that I'm looking at pretty significantly. You mentioned one of the guys I like a little bit down the board. I'm kind of a fan of two Ryans who are at 100 to 1. Uh, Ryan Armour is the first guy. He ranks third in cumulative score to par on this golf course the last five years. Four straight top 25 finishes in this tournament. This is a course where distance isn't paramount. That's not the strength of Ryan Armour's game. Um, and he can go ahead and you know, he can capitalize on the things he is good at, and they tend to shine on this golf course. The other Ryan I like, also 100-1, to 1, Ryan Moore has struggled this season. But this reminds me a lot of John Deere, where Ryan went in with favorable course history, hasn't had a great season, but he, he had a previous win on the golf course, which he has also at the Wyndham. Went out and had a great week. He's never shot worse than 71 on this golf course since he went to Sedgefield. So if you need a guy to round out your DraftKings team, or maybe you take a flyer on him having a big week finishing in the top five. I think he's somebody you can look at. Are there any players less sexy out there than, and I don't mean uh, nothing about their looks. I'm sure they're very nice looking gentlemen, but uh, Brian Stewart, Ryan Armour. I mean, they sort of fit the Jim Herman profile of like, you're sitting there looking at them, whether it's a, a DraftKings lineup or looking at them on the board and you're like, I don't really want to put my money on them, but, they kind of fit this week, so maybe I will. And, and I like 
I like both of those guys. Stewart and Armour are both on my short list this week. Steady pros don't hit the ball too far. So there's some courses where they're just not going to be, you know, contenders to win week in and week out. This is not one of those golf courses. This is a course that brings a lot of players back to the pack because it's not long. It's only a par 70. Guys can go out there and they don't have to pound it. And, and uh, you know, they're not losing a ton of strokes by not being super proficient off the tee. Strokes gained off the tee. The average ranking for winners since 2010 at this golf tournament, 21.4. That's significantly lower than the PGA Tour average since 2010. So um, kind of speaks to the fact that you don't have to be an awesome driver of the golf ball to have success at Sedgefield. One more of that same uh, 100 to 1 number, by the way. And uh, I will admit that this is a guy that I hadn't thought much about until now, but the bronze medal winner, who uh, I think there's a correlation to Harbor Town as man. well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just uh, basically a, a place where uh, you can ball strike it all over the place. You don't have to hit it a long way. CT Penn, um, you know, obviously won the bronze a couple of weeks ago. So he's playing pretty well. Uh, we've seen him play well in this area of the country on a shorter golf course. I think there's something to be said for, uh, first of all, going after CT Pan, and secondly, uh, taking a look at the last couple of RBC Heritage leaderboards and seeing how that correlates to the Wyndham this week. All right, uh, anyone else you want to mention? Anyone want to get to the uh, lineup this week? Your point on CT Pan tied for second here in 2018. That year, mm. we're talking about distance. Here's, this was the top of the leaderboard in 2018. Brant Snedeker won, CT Pan, Webb Simpson, Jim Furyk, DA points. Not a long hitter in that group. No, not even close. In fact, I'd like to see a long drive contest between all of them. I might take, I might take Pan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm just kidding. Lineup time. All right. Let's get to the DraftKings lineup. Uh, we do it every week here on the Links and Locks podcast and also on the Gimme, which, oh, by the way, you can catch Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time, breaking down uh, everything with this week's Wyndham Championship. Jay Ray, myself, and our friend Amanda Rose on all your social channels through the Action Network and Golf Bet. All right. Want to be a DFS millionaire? You're just one lineup away. We're going to go nose to nose with him. And you're going to play better than you ever dreamed of. Because, God damn it, that's what I demand of you. So let's get drafting. Uh, you're up first. Make a pick. Uh, I'm going to go with your guy. I'm going to go with the guy who you thought was going to win last week at the Barracuda. He has just, he's had a great summer. Career year, getting the win, the three win promotion from the Corn Ferry to the PGA Tour. Give me Mito, seventy nine hundred. Um, I won't spend too much money. There, there's a couple of places I can go where I can save some money. I'm going to spend money off the top. And uh, when we talk about getting no respect, um, there there are two very specific instances of no respect that I've seen in the last couple of days. One, uh, I tweeted this out. I was watching the Mets Phillies game on Fox Sports One a couple of days ago. They had all the Olympics results for every sport scrolling along that bottom line and all of a sudden here comes golf women's golf competition and there's your gold medal winner kelly norda (laughs) (sighs) oh by the way i will absolutely uh, like i will call her publicly by mistake now kelly norda every time i talk about her because that is now ingrained in my mind nelly corda one of my the biggest volcanic eruptions i ever had when i was working at espn <laughs> at the 2011 us open i was in the production truck and we were working on post game show and you know you send out inform- part of the job being researcher you send out information it goes to different shows you don't necessarily have your hands on it when they're building the graphic or whatever so it's kind of out of your hands after you send it out and rory mcelroy he was it was something like 
like youngest 36 hole leader at a major since X. And it was a graphic and a list of like Rory tiger. And then in third place on the graphic, I'm sure the graphics producer thought it was just a typo in the note. It needed to be changed. Steve Ballesteros. Steve. Oh, they, they just thought it was a typo. Oh, no one's Seve. That is you know, Steve Ballesteros. Oh, that J Ray kid left the T out when he put in the graphics. I, I went apeshit. I lost my mind. Partly because it was like hour 200 of a 300 hour work week. But mm. you know, if that's even such a thing, but it there, was, yeah, no, that, that was Steve Ballesteros. That was there is a story. I believe it was at Augusta, but it might've been somewhere else where I believe Scott Michaud, uh, former writer for the uh, the Augusta Chronicle um, has told this story before where some fan is just uh, badgering him. Just, Steve! Steve, can you sign this? Steve! Finally, Ballesteros turns around. And by the way, he was you know not the most genial man, especially when you're calling him Steve uh, as you're yelling at him from you know two feet away. And finally, he turns around. It's his Seve. And no, I will not. And that was it. And he walked away. Um, really good story by the way I, I, I remember being at a u.s open one year this was at beth Bay. god this must have been like a one at beth page but or maybe it was oh nine at beth page actually um but angel cabrera um was was on the tee and some some new yorker and you know love my long island people i'm a long island native from not too far from beth page but he's just sitting there go hey, angel angel Yo, Angel, over here, Angel, 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 Angel. Finally, some guy taps him on the shoulder. He's like, what? Oh, on hell. Yo, on hell. And he just kept going with that. But he got it right after a while. In any case, what sparked this whole conversation was uh, Will Zalatoris getting no respect from DraftKings. He has an American flag as his avatar uh, for his, picking him in a lineup this week. So just I will take the guy. Zil Zalatoris. Zil I will take him at 10,300. And. I'll save us some money elsewhere. All right. Uh, I'll, I'll pick up the pace here with this one. No backstories here involved, as delightful as that was. Uh, I mentioned this guy earlier. Ryan Armour is ranked third in score to par in this golf tournament the last five years behind only Webb Simpson and Billy Horschel. 7000 is going to save us some money. I like that pick, and we've got some more to spend here. Ryan Armour, 7000 That's literally where I was going next. Um, I had ah. Armour lined up and ready to go. Since you spent the money – uh, or you save the money, I will spend the money. Um, I think we can still probably squeeze out a couple of pretty good picks after this, but I really like Russell Henley this week. Um, I, I think that a, a couple bounces the right way for him, and Russell Henley could have been the UGA player that was Harris English this season, um, and, and he wasn't that far off. And quite frankly, uh, I could see a scenario where for the 2021-22 season coming up, Russell Henley does have a very similar season to uh, what Harris English has done this year. I, I think he's a tremendous ball striker. You just mentioned a couple minutes ago, ball striking being very important at Sedgefield. I think this is going to be a really good week for him. A guy who at one point this season was leading the PGA Tour in strokes gained approach before mm. Colin Makawa strapped himself to a strokes gained approach rocket and went to the you know height of the solar system. So <laughs> um, yeah, very good iron player. Um, I like that pick. Uh, so I'm going to go back to a guy you mentioned earlier. I, I'm scrolling down. I really like this value for a guy who nearly won here a few years ago when Brant Snedeker won in 2018. The bronze medalist CT Pan is just 7,400. Gives us a little bit of money to spend with that last pick. So give me CT Pan, 7,400. Yeah, uh, I like that a lot. Um, leaves us with 8,000. And 
there's a whole bunch of ways you can go here. Justin Rose is intriguing to me just because he's Justin Rose. He was 54th in Memphis last week, 46th at the Open. Before that, 36th the Travelers played terribly at the U.S. Open. Before that, I really thought the PGA Championship, um, he was going to break through. He had 16 birdies on the weekend at Kiowa. And you're like, well, that's not an easy golf course. He's Something good's going to happen pretty soon. He was 20th a week later at Colonial. And you're like, all right, here it comes. I believe I picked him to win at Colonial. And I was like, all right, it was pretty good. Shot a final round 71, but it was pretty good that week. And since then, he has not been very good. He's intriguing to me. Uh, I'm going to bypass him. Eric Van Royen uh, coming off a win. Uh, I can't imagine he's in the right frame of mind to go out and play his best golf once again. Snedeker, like you mentioned, past champion. Don't love it. Vegas. Poston, another past champion. I do like him. Got into a playoff with Seamus Power a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to go with Taylor Gooch here, though. And I mentioned him again, just sticking with the metric that works the best this week. He's very good uh, with his irons. I think that's going to make some sense this week. And you look at what he's done. Um, open championship shouldn't really fit his game. 33rd there, 36th of the Travelers. Before that, 18th Memorial, 14th the Colonial. The guy, the guy shows up every week. And so I think he's got a very high floor. You know, we talk about high ceilings, high floor. The ceiling for Gooch might not be as high as the ceiling for a Rose or a Snedeker or a guy who's won a handful of times on the PGA Tour. But I think that floor is probably a lot higher than a lot of other players in that area, Jay Ray. Yeah, I agree. I like it. I, I Right when I scrolled down with the available money, I kind of looked and was like, I think I know where my man's going here. So yeah, I like that pick to round out the team. Ryan Armour, Taylor Gooch, Russell Henley, C.T. Pan, Mito Pereira, and Will Zalatoris. I, I like that, leaving 300 on the table this week. I, I'm going to be locked in because I probably won't do as many lineups once we get to the playoff events, but I, I, I'm going to be spending the next few days making a whole lot of lineups for this Wyndham Championship. And, oh, by the way, uh, before we go, you've told this story on the podcast before. Now that we have our own Links and Locks podcast, I, I think it's worth you telling your Wyndham Championship DFS story once again. Yes, well, as, as you know, I'm, I'm a romantic at heart, and this is just truly a story of, of true romance and golf gambling coming together in one beautiful story. 2015 Wyndham Championship, Davis Love is your winner, but a host of veterans came through strong for your boy in the early days of DraftKings uh, golf betting. Uh, I had I was like Bill Haas, Ryan Moore, who I mentioned, a handful of other guys. Had a nice payday, several thousand dollars, my now wife was then my girlfriend. Two weeks later, popped a question. You know where the winnings went. It went to the engagement ring. So we'll tell that to our grandkids someday. But Grandpa bought Grandma's engagement ring with uh, with DraftKings money. Thank you, Ryan Moore and Billy Haas. If that doesn't get five stars when you come rate us on the Links and Locks podcast, I don't even know what you're doing. Uh, thanks so much to everyone for listening this week again you can catch us on the gimme with our friend amanda rose 8 30 p.m eastern time this wednesday and every wednesday good luck with all your bets for this week's Wyndham championship here's hoping you hit the green 